You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Robbie Samuels hosts the On the Schmooze podcast. Robbie, tell listeners what to expect from the show. Since 2015, I've interviewed entrepreneurs who overcame challenges to achieve success in their field or industry. Tune in to On the Schmooze to listen as I ask deep questions to elicit untold stories about leadership and networking. And where can people subscribe? Find the show at ontheschmooze.com or on marketingpodcast.net or just search for it wherever you get your podcasts. You heard them. Go subscribe. Hey, everyone. You're listening to another episode of the All Things Private Practice Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Casal. I'm joined with Ryan DeRusso, who is a certified financial planner who helps private practitioners and therapists enabling them to thrive financially so they can focus on clients. And this is a topic that I think is really important. We are getting closer to 2024. A lot of you in private practice are probably like, shit, I haven't even started a retirement plan. I don't have a retirement plan. It scares the hell out of me. So we're going to talk about that stuff so it makes it feel a little bit easier for all of you and you can start getting your... Uh, safety and security in order. So Ryan, thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm always up for talking about these types of topics. So yeah, excited to be here. So tell the audience a little bit about who you are and why therapists and private practitioners in particular, why is that the passion or the the area that really sparks you? Yeah. um, So my route to what I do, like probably many therapists out there is a little long and winding road. Um, I initially started out as a writer. I was a personal finance writer for a number of years. I wrote for magazines that most people have heard of, like Fortune, Money, uh, talking about investments and sort of what's the best thing to do with money. And, but the entire time I did that, I worked for myself. I was a self-employed uh, writer, and I never particularly liked working um, under an umbrella or anything like that. Um, and so... You know, a few years ago, I started taking the steps to get certified to become a financial planner. I wanted to work with people one on one. I wanted to kind of help them in ways that a writer cannot. And um, in that process, I always expected to work with the self-employed because it's what I knew. Um, it's an area that I knew needed guidance because I made so many mistakes in those years that I worked for myself. And uh, you know, it, if I can help other people avoid those, that'd be great. Um, as I actually started reaching out to the self-employed, a group that I found not only did I really connect with, uh, but that really uh, was interested in hearing about uh, some of the issues that I was bringing up and that operated very similar to the way I did, other than the fact that they had more compliance to worry about, um, was therapies uh, or therapists and those in therapy, uh, private practice therapy practices. And so uh, it became just this sort of natural sort of shift. Uh, I suddenly found myself speaking to therapists and now 90, about 90% of my clients are private practice therapists. I love that. And I think that speaks to so many people who are entrepreneurs, who are small business owners, who are therapists, um, who have gone through similar startup struggles for sure and tried to find their way to what felt the most um, energizing for them. I see it a lot where money and being a therapist don't always go hand in hand. They don't always see eye to eye. And there could be a lot of shame around this topic because a lot of people listening are probably sitting there like, I don't have anything in place. How mm-hmm. often do you come into situations like that? And how normal is that for this population? Oh, it's so common. Um, I mean, you know, people 
always have this notion of, well, I should be saving for retirement or I should be investing in some way, uh, but they have no idea how. And the, the fact that they're ashamed by this is, is something that one is is common, but also something they they it, it it's really not their fault. Um, if, I mean, if you think about it, like, did you ever take classes in personal finance growing up? Did when you were when you were getting your letters for a therapist, did they ever teach you how to run a therapy practice or anything like that? It, this is nope. just stuff that yeah, we're not taught. Like I I've told this story to people, so they may have heard this, but like. Uh, my only time I was taught like was in sixth grade when I had a class where we picked an individual stock and we wrote a check and that was about it. And, um, the only reason I knew this stuff is because I won, I went through it, um, and myself, and then I had a natural inclination to learn. And so I did that. Uh, but expecting other people to do that on their own, um, it's, it's, it's a high bar. And so that's really where I come in to sort of help with that bar, but it's not also something they should be ashamed about. Um, I talk with clients uh, or therapists at different stages of their career. So some very early on in the career, right? And some very far along. Uh, those that are early on in particular are the ones where I see they've done, you know, very little to none. Um, but they also have to re remember that, like, they're also starting a business. Like, they're not... Um, they're not the entrepreneur in the mom's basement uh, starting the business, but they're still starting a business. And the fact that they're not able to do everything yet is perfectly normal um, and actually right where you're supposed to be in that situation. So uh, we need to start thinking about the future and getting to the point where we're able to manage our cash flows and manage for the future in that process. But being like self, uh, like, feeling like you're falling behind because you're starting a business, you're not doing these other things. Well, that's part of starting a business. So you should write where you should, should be. I like that. And I think that's that helps with the normalization and the validation process of like, yeah, you, if you don't know this stuff, you don't know it. And if you're overwhelmed with small business startup, which a lot of you listening probably are at some point or have been in that mindset where it's like, oh my God, I have to keep track of all of these moving pieces. How am I also supposed to keep track of like, planning for retirement and future planning, because I can hardly like think about anything besides what's happening today or this week. And I'm struggling to get clients and I'm fearful of, it, is this going to be successful? Can you give us some, some simple like strategies and tips for those, whether they're at the beginning of this path or the end, especially if they don't have anything in place so that they can start moving towards at least feeling like, I'm creating some security for myself. I'm creating some safety net for myself. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, first thing I, I would say is, and uh, you know, I bet many of you all, um, when you're talking to clients and they're stressed out or whatever, um, you're often talking to them about taking time, uh, taking time for uh, mental recharge, taking time to focus on family or whatever. Uh, one thing I would encourage you, if you're sort of worried about this, is taking some time to focus on finances. So by taking a few moments every week or month to actually look at this stuff, figure out a plan for it, um, you can actually make a lot of changes to where you're moving in the right direction without um, it becoming something that becomes overwhelming, where it's no longer about taking time on your own hands, it's it's being taken for you. Um, and so finding some slots for that. And you know, honestly, that's where client, like my clients 
find some benefit for me is because I'm forcing them to take time every quarter uh, when I'm meeting with them typically, um, whereas they might not do that themselves. So that's the, the first thing I would say. Um, the second thing is you really need to evaluate sort of the business and the personal. Uh, a lot of times when we're looking at um, our business, we want to completely like shelter it from the personal side. You know, everyone tells you to get an LLC or an S corp, uh, and you know you have your business expenses, your business credit card, and and that's separate from your your personal. Um, and that's all well and good from a tax and legal purpose, but you can't ignore the fact that like if you need a new roof, uh, it's going to impact how you feel about your business. And if your business feels a little tight at some point. It's not. It's going to impact how you feel about your personal uh, well-being and uh, expenses and whatnot. And you cannot ignore that fact. Um, and so, one way to protect is sort of first build that emergency fund. So you now have shelter in place, both business and personal in place. Um, so you're not just like kind of fly by night, <clears throat> concerned about sort of what's going on um, and kind of stuck in your own head about fears because uh, we want to get away from that sort of fear-based business approach. Um, and then the third is really um, start to look at a solo 401k for most private practitioners. Um, you know, there's always a debate between the solo and what's called a SEP IRA. I typically guide people to the solo 401k because um of the amount that you can eventually put into it. It's very easy to set up now, that sort of thing. Um, but the more you're able to put that in now, one, you're saving for the future. You're now building an income stream for the future. So you basically have this passive income stream that you just don't touch. That's going to make you feel a lot, lot better about yourself. And you're also reducing your taxes in the process. And so now you're creating some short-term savings as well. Yeah, I love that. And that's very simple and straightforward. And I agree, like just taking some time. And I love the fact that if you hire someone like yourself, it's almost like an accountability measure, right? Because if it's, if I'm left to my own devices, what's the likelihood I'm actually going to like spend a, a couple hours a month thinking about this? It's probably unlikely, especially if it's a topic that intimidates me or overwhelms me. So having that sort of teamwork and support in place is really important. Then having a understanding of like just getting started. So often I hear like, I don't make enough money to invest. I don't make enough money to put aside. It's really hard for me to, to you know, relinquish this. What if I need it? In reality, I, I like to tell people like, hell, even if you put a recurring investment of like $50 a week starting out, something small, something that may feel like it's not that substantial, it is literally the mindset piece, the psychological component of like just starting the process because it's so easy until you do that to be in that inaction or that frozen mode where it's like, I can't get started because I don't know how. Mm -hmm. And that's such a good point. Um, that $50 notion, um, people kind of ignore that because when you're like reading an article about these things, all their t when you're reading an article, they're going to say, um, you can put up to $6,500 in an IRA. Or you can put $22,500 into a 401k because that's the most that you can do. But there, that doesn't mean that you can't gain value by putting $50 in and getting started. Uh, most, uh, most 401ks and most uh, funds have such low 
uh, entry points now that even $25 can be the minimum uh, deposit. And sure, this year, maybe you put $25 uh, a month in, and that's what all you can save this year. Uh, that doesn't mean next year that's all you're putting in, but at least you've like started sort of that train. Um, and uh, yeah, so that that's a really great point. Yeah, it's a, it's not even just starting the train, right? So to speak, it's also like prepping yourself mentally and also getting you to have probably hire someone who's going to handle your investments, right? So that's another layer of accountability. Someone like yourself, someone else out there who does this for a living. So that it doesn't feel so intimidating when you're like, well, I don't know what to invest in. Like, I don't know where to allocate this yeah. money. And it's like, well, you don't have to. And when you're starting a private practice or any business, you need a team. You need a quote unquote like boardroom, right? So like that means you should have a CPA. That means you should have someone who handles your money. Like you should not have to do every single thing on your own because you most likely do not know how. And the more we try to do on our own, the more likely it is we do none of it because it becomes so overwhelming that it's just a lot easier to just be like, I'm going to bury my head in the sand and I'm going to think about this next year. Yeah. And, and that notion of just sort of burying your head in the sand, that only gets worse as you get further along because the more you bury in the sand, the more it gets worse, the more you're embarrassed by it, the more, the less likely you're reaching out uh, until there's like a breaking point. Um, and that's really what the like the financial planner place in this. Like I'm a I'm what's called a fee only planner. So that means that I only accept uh, fees for my clients. I don't get paid by insurance firms or mutual fund companies to put that my clients in certain things or anything like that. Uh, but where my place is is certainly it's like sort of it's described as sort of like the quarterback, and we're sort of working with all the financial team members uh, or players um, of you know, someone's financial life. So we're working with the CPA to sort of figure out the proper tax uh, strategies. Um, you know, we do investments, like that's one thing that my firm does, but we can also work with and basically uh, look at what the investment manager is doing to make sure they're not like fleecing you in fees and and bad products and stuff like that. Uh, so that's really sort of our place in this, but we're also sort of taking um, the opportunity to look forward so what's the impact of all these things? So, oh, you want to add a person to your group practice. Well, these are sort of the tax impacts of it today, but this is also the long-term impact. This is the break-even point, that sort of thing. And so we can evaluate that uh, essentially using math, uh, which, you know, that can scare a lot of people, but we're not we're not scared of that. And so we're, we're able to provide some, some guidance and support in that way because of it. And now pause for a word from our sponsors. Most of you who are listening are probably private or group practice owners. I know how important it is to save money in your business. And I also know how important it is to have live, quality, responsive customer service. That's why we switched our entire group practice from a well-known EHR to Therapy Notes last year. If you're coming from another EHR, Therapy Notes makes the transition incredibly easy, importing your demographic data free of charge so you can get going right away. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot.com and Google. Find out what more than 100,000 mental health professionals already know. And try Therapy Notes for two months absolutely free. Just go to TherapyNotes.com and enter promo code ATPP. They also have e-prescription software available and included 
meaning that you do not have to have separate platforms for your medical billers and your medication management team. This is incredibly helpful and it makes sure that everything feels streamlined. Go to therapynotes.com and enter promo code ATPP. And now, pause for a word from our sponsors. From new patients faced with an empty lobby and no idea where to find their therapist to clinicians with a session running overtime and the doorbell ringing, some of the most anxiety-ridden moments of a therapy appointment happen before a session even starts. This episode's sponsor, The Receptionist for iPad, helps you tackle some of that pre-appointment apprehension and anxiety. The Receptionist for iPad is an easy-to-use digital client check-in system that helps your visitors check in securely to their appointments and notify their practitioners of their arrival via SMS, email, or your preferred channel. No more confusion, endless lobby checking, or having clients sign in on paper logbooks. It can even help you upgrade and update your demographic information for your clients as well and even validate parking. Start a 14-day free trial of The Receptionist for iPad by going to thereceptionist.com slash private practice. Make sure to start your trial with that link and you'll also get your first month free if you decide to sign up. I love the way you frame that and I think that's so important to look at it that way. And I think a lot of therapists, you know, get kind of concerned like, how do I even know who to hire? How do I know what questions to ask? Because again, coming back to the like, what you don't know, you don't know. And to all the horror stories of like, I hired this person and they mismanaged my money and now all this stuff has happened. And that can happen in any industry. So let's just like not make that the norm in terms of like what to expect. But I would love for you to talk about like questions that people can ask when they're looking to hire someone. But I also want to circle back to the quarterback analogy. I know you're in New York, so like, are you talking like Tommy DeVito? Or are you talking Zach Wilson quarterback strategy? Or are we like <laughs> hoping for better outcomes I, than that? I hope not. Then my goodness. <laughs> got to be better than that. Um, it's got to be better than that. Um, yeah. No. Um, yeah, questions yeah, that say, people can ask. Like first round draft pick, you know, a star, a star quarterback. But um, now the, um, the questions to ask, one, ask about that the only aspect. That is, that is very key. You want to make sure that they, um, whoever's helping you, their financial priorities are in place to help you. Um, like the reason I do what I do now, like a big reason I do what I do is, um, because my father-in-law, he, um, he went to an advisor, he had an advisor for 20 some odd years, family friend gave, sent, uh, my wife and I, I was dating her at the time, but sent my wife and I to, to him. And he took us out and wined and dined us. And we were like, how is he getting paid? We have no idea how he's getting paid. Um, I happened to just, I just happened, like one of my first jobs was covering financial advisors. And I learned about the payment strategies of advisors. And I learned uh, how he was getting paid. Basically, he was putting us in mutual funds that made absolutely no sense for us. He was taking a cut of every amount that we put in there. Um, and uh, and we're getting nothing from it because his his uh, the way he was getting paid, he was getting paid more by the mutual fund companies than it was by us. Um, and when I discovered that, we immediately pulled our money out. Eventually, my uh, father-in-law did too, um, but that set my father-in-law back. And so I'm, I, t- I t- very, take it very personally on that front. So definitely ask how they're getting paid. That is like number one. Um, when you're hiring, say, like a CPA, you need to ask like what type of planning is involved here? Because CPAs are, um, they're great at filing taxes and that is what their business model is. At the at come tax time, they file 
you know, 200, 400, 600 taxes all at once. And they're just trying to get it through. So they're not looking at your tax situation being like, oh, well, you know, you could have saved like $200 more here by just doing this. Or, uh, hey, if you put this much in a 401, they may do that, but they're not really doing that. Um, if you're working with a CPA who's doing tax planning or kind of doing what we're doing, which is financial planning, they're, they're looking at the full year picture as well as the future picture, not just that year. So also look for that. Um, and then in terms of, Trying to think of another question. Hopefully that kind of covers it, but that gives you a good starting point. Yeah, it's a great starting point. So that people know when they make a call, hey, here are some questions that you can ask immediately to just gauge your comfort level. I think that's really important. Um, I think responsivity is important, like having someone who's going to communicate with you throughout the year when you have questions, someone who's who's going to have, like you mentioned, quarterly meetings or some sort of situation where you are have some touch points where it doesn't just feel like, okay, I've created this recurring investment and I'm on my own. Like, I don't know where the money is going. I don't know what's happening with it. And I'm kind of just lost. I see a dashboard and that's kind of it. So I think having that team strategy mentality is really important. It makes it a win-win for everyone involved. Now, yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I was going to say, and one thing I would also add to that is like, have someone who can explain this stuff to you. Um, like, you know, part of the reason I do the, what I do is because I'm a good communicator. And that's where the financial planner really um, fits in, in this is I can explain to people exactly the benefit of an S-Corp to an LLC in a very easy way that they can understand. But a CPA might not be able to do that. Uh, that's, right. They just don't talk to as many people. Um, I, um, I I know I have, I have clients who work with other investment managers who they the reason they came to me is because their investment manager could not explain to them what they were doing from an investment standpoint. And um, I can, I can ex show them what they're doing and maybe ways they could be doing it better. Um, but like, you sh should always expect that in a service, especially like if you're, if you're hiring an investment manager, they're taking 1% of whatever you're investing typically. And so if let's say you have a million dollars, that's $10,000 a, a year. Like you should expect to be able to talk to your investment manager. And even if it's 5,000, even if it's $2,500 a, a year, like you should still expect to be able to talk to your investment manager and know what they're doing with your money. Yeah, I love that. That's, that's really well said. And I think that helps break down some of the stress is the ability to communicate clearly and understand what's being said instead of like, I know when my friend who's my accountant or my CPA talks to me about certain tax strategies, my eyes glaze over because he is wonderful as a CPA, but like you said, doesn't talk to many people and is speaking in numbers most of the time. So I'm like, yeah. uh, I trust you, just do what you need to do. Um, but you know, not a great strategy if you do not know the person, if you do not trust the person, probably not a great strategy in general anyway. But so let's talk a little bit about retirement. Like that word, I think scares a lot of people in our industry because what I hear so often is like, I'm going to have to work until the day I die. Mm, like I'm yeah. never going to be able to stop. And I don't really see a way out of that from being my situation. Yeah. I actually, I hear two, two things. Um, excuse me. Uh, one is that. And then two is I don't want to stop working. And um, I, I always am of the, the opinion that you should be able to work as long as you want but you don't want to be in a situation where you're forced to work as long as you want, because those are two very different situations, scenarios, 
and experiences. Um, and when you're 70 and coming off a, a health crisis, if you um, if you are forced to work an eight hour work week, like that's going to be really tough. And and so getting away from that is is going to be key. You know, that one thing we I talked about already is sort of building that retirement account because that's the passive income stream for the future, no matter what you sort of see for uh, yourself uh, from a practice standpoint. The other thing I would say is often when people are um, investing in a private practice, what they're doing is building an income stream and they're not necessarily building an asset. And especially if you're never going to build group practice out of that or anything like that. And so when you're just building an income stream, you are always going to feel that pressure to work because as soon as that work is off, it's off, it's gone. Uh, it's gone immediately. Um, and so you need to invest in one of three ways. One is retirement. So investing in the markets, we've talked about that. The other two ways is investing in businesses or investing in real estate. Um, so we're growing uh, down the line. Um, and investing in business can be building a group practice that you can eventually sell one day. Like I've talked to, uh, you know, therapists in their late 60s, early 70s, where if they could sell their practice for, say, $200,000, that's the difference between their very successful retirement and very tough retirement. Um, and uh, but they're not in a position to sell because they've never really taken that that aggressiveness towards that. Um, but these are options that are available to you as a private practice owner, especially if you're earlier in your, your process, figuring out sort of where you want to invest. Um, you know, another thing to think about is commercial real estate because you're a therapist and you often have office space. So maybe that's another way to invest. It really depends on the person. There's so many ways, but you, you have to kind of move away from thinking just building an income stream is enough. I absolutely love that you said that because I think you're so right that so many people think like it's got to be fee for service for the rest of my life. And there are so many ways to diversify that income, to make your business an asset, to set yourself up later down the line when you say, I no longer want to do this anymore for whatever the reason is, whether it's health related, whether it's just like energy related, whether you just want to change career paths and trajectory. So really protecting yourself by being proactive and starting now for everyone listening again i don't care what stage of your career you're in i don't care how old you are if you don't have anything set up or in place it is time to get started and again circling back to what ryan and i both said it does not have to be a huge amount of money to get your, your retirement and investment accounts started so protect yourself protect your energy protect all of the work and hard work that you put into this career because I, I hate to see it where you have so many people that are either leaving the field due to burnout or feeling like I just can't step away because I don't have any other way to protect myself financially. So lots of ways to do that. And Ryan, thank you for all the valuable information today. How can yeah, everyone, yeah, absolutely. How can anyone find you if they want to work with you? Can you work with people who are throughout the country because we have listeners everywhere. Yeah, answer some of that stuff for us. Yeah, I could work with pretty much anyone in the country. There's like certain certain states that if uh, I need to file a form to be registered, uh, I would file the form. So it's very simple. Uh, and so I work with people all over the country. Um, and you can find me, my uh, 
the the group I work with is United Financial Planning Group, but I do some marketing through thinkingcapfinancial.com. And if you go to thinkingcapfinancial.com slash checklist, uh, sign up for my uh, email there, you'll get a free checklist. And it's basically six things to think about as you're getting started or moving on to the next stage, kind of building the practice, things to put in place and think about. Love it. And all of that information I will be in the show notes as well. So they have easy access to Ryan's information, his contact um, his checklist and everything else that we talked about today. Thanks so much for making the time and coming on. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. And to everyone listening to the All Things Private Practice podcast, new episodes are out every single Saturday on all major platforms and YouTube. YouTube. Like, download, subscribe, and share it down yourself. Do it anyway. See you next week. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.